This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Yes, it is Amy Coney Barrett. She is the pick. I guess a lot of us were not surprised by that, although there was a little bit of discussion about whether or not there was another justice from Florida who might be the pick, who was also with the Federalist Society and had some very good recommendations. But Amy Coney Barrett is back, and it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. I want to play for you what President Trump had to say over the weekend. This is cut one. Amy Coney Barrett will decide cases based on the text of the Constitution as written. As Amy has said, being a judge takes courage. You are not there to decide cases as you may prefer. You are there to do your duty and to follow the law wherever it may take you. That is exactly what Judge Barrett will do on the U.S. Supreme Court. And then this was one of the great moments from Amy Coney Barrett's acceptance speech, as it were. This is cut to. I fully understand that this is a momentous decision for a president. And if the Senate does me the honor of confirming me, I pledge to discharge the responsibilities of this job to the very best of my ability. I love the United States, and I love the United States Constitution. I am truly, I am truly humbled by the prospect of serving on the Supreme Court. You know, what really strikes me is how often we have seen, and I can say often because we've had Gorsuch and then Kavanaugh and now Amy Coney Barrett, three picks so far for President Trump on the Supreme Court. There is always an emphasis on the Constitution, an emphasis on the United States, an emphasis on not bringing your personal feelings into your decisions as a justice. And I can't really say the same thing for those picks who have come from Democrat presidents. It's weird. We're almost in a weird position where we acquiesce. I'm not saying we literally acquiesce because we don't. But it seems the left, whenever they have a pick, it's all right to talk about progress and about upholding our dearest values, which have to do with progressive decisions and some of the most evil decisions ever rendered in the history of the Supreme Court. And that's all expected. Just continue to do on what 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 has always been done as far as progressive activist judicial decisions have have gone. They, they don't sit around and talk about how much they love the United States and the Constitution, per se. They don't make an emphasis that I'm going to keep all my personal feelings out of it. I have to interpret the law according to the Constitution. You don't hear a lot of talk about that. And it, I think it really highlights the divide. And we know there is a Grand Canyon-esque divide that continues to grow and grow and grow with every passing day to the point where you have a left that when you look back on the Kavanaugh hearings, almost looked reasonable back then. They're so past the point of crazy. I'm not sure how you ever get the gap to close again, short of intervention by God himself. I don't know how you close that gap again. They have been pushed so far to the radical left 
that they are saying things that are flat out not true and they're not even pretending to try to be fair. And there are all kinds of all kinds of examples of this. Let's pull out Chuck Schumer, the Senate minority leader. He claims all kinds of nefarious, dastardly things will happen if Amy Coney Barrett is put on the high court. This was an interesting rant from Chuck Schumer. Cut three. Judge Barrett and those from the Federalist Society want to make America a right-to-work state, which would get rid of labor unions. Our environmental rights would be greatly hurt with Judge Barrett on the court. The Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, and all efforts to stop global warming would be hurt. LGBTQ rights would be hurt. This hit home personally to me, because at our Jewish New Year's Eve dinner, our Rosh Hashanah dinner, was in, we heard that Justice Ginsburg had died. My daughter, who was sitting next to her wife, whispered to each other, will our right to marry be constrained under this new court? Just about every American will be hurt by Judge Barrett's views on the issues like health care and women's rights and labor rights and voting rights, climate change. Her views are way to the right of the American people. And as they learn about it, she will become less and less popular. Give me a break. Give me a break. Why don't you just accuse her of everything under the sun? It's all her fault. Every future problem in the history of the earth that is to come will be the fault of Amy Coney Barrett. These guys don't know what to say. They can't go after her Catholicism anymore. I mean, they could. I'm not saying they can't. But after Dianne Feinstein, you know, made that whole spectacle the last time when she was being confirmed as a federal judge about the dogma living loudly. And there was so much pushback that we are to, you know, really exhibit this religious tolerance that historically has always been part of America that you don't show religious bigotry when you are confirming somebody to hold public office because there's no religious test. We went over that at the time that Amy Coney Barrett was raked over the coals. So they can't really do that. And plus, we also have Nancy Pelosi now saying it doesn't matter what her faith is. And she says questions on Barrett's Catholicism will be off limits. I'm not entirely sure that's going to fly. But at any rate, the Catholicism thing has been done. I don't think they're going to really try that again. But they're doing other things. I'm going to get to that in just a moment, but I want to go also to something that Joe Biden had to say. This is via ABC News about the issue of the timing of the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to become the next Supreme Court justice pick. You know, it's just the same stuff from these people. Listen to cut four. Shortly before Justice Ginsburg's passed, she uh, she told her granddaughter, and I quote, my most fervent wish that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed, end of quote. It wasn't a personal request. It wasn't a favor being asked for. It was the last act of a long, unflinching career of standing up for American democracy. Never before in our nation's history has the Supreme Court justice been nominated and installed while a presidential election is already underway. It defies every precedent. All right. Not only do we all know full well that these people, were they in the same position, would be breaking land speed records to get a progressive to replace Ginsburg. So we know it's a total ruse what he's putting forward there. But it's also demonstrably false. And this was something the president talked about yesterday. Listen to cut five. Twenty nine Supreme Court vacancies have occurred during an election year or before an inauguration. In every single instance, going back to George Washington, the president has performed his constitutional duty and nominated a justice. And in almost every one of these cases over the past 230 years, 
where the president and the Senate were the same party. But the justice, uh, as you know, that justice was confirmed. Uh, this is about two centuries, more than two centuries of precedent. And I think it'll continue. I think we're going to have, uh, I think it's going to go quickly, actually. And I think, and again, I, I don't know if I've ever seen the Republican Party more unified. I think it was probably even more unified with the impeachment hoax, actually. <laughs> I love when he throws that in about the impeachment hoax. And it was an impeachment hoax. It's going to be interesting, though, to see how this goes down, because there are just so many things that are different about this particular pick and the timing of this particular pick. They are going after her, though. But let's go back a little bit to Amy Coney Barrett and some of her qualifications, because Marjorie Dannenfelser, as you know, who we talked to just recently, the president of the Susan B. Anthony List, uh, ter- really a terrific, wonderful pro-life organization, called Amy Coney Barrett an accomplished woman of bold conviction, who has shown courage, wisdom, and brilliance during her tenure on the Seventh Circuit. Her experience and expertise make her extremely qualified to serve on the nation's highest court. A couple of interesting things you might not have heard as far as her background relating to life issues. There was a case in 2018 in which she joined another judge's forceful dissent in a challenge to that Indiana law, which was signed by then-Governor Mike Pence that banned eugenic discrimination abortions and required the dignified disposition position of human fetal remains. And that latter portion of the law was upheld by the Supreme Court last year. She also joined an opinion by Chief Judge Diane Sykes urging the Supreme Court to reconsider a case restricting the free speech of pro-life sidewalk counselors by imposing buffer zones at abortion facilities. So a pro-life originalist, this is exactly what the doctor ordered on the U.S. Supreme Court. But they're going after her. We're going to get into that when we come back from this break. Don't go away. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. 
services. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, Democrats are reportedly reportedly considering a plan to boycott the confirmation hearings for Amy Coney Barrett. At least two Democratic senators thus far, Maisie Hirono from Hawaii and Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut, said they're not going to meet with her because that would just legitimize the decision of the president to kick off this nomination process weeks before a presidential election. Like you guys would not race to do the same if you thought you could get a progressive through. Do you really think we're dumb? We're not dumb. The Houston Chronicle reports Democratic senators are mapping out how they will wield their limited procedural weapons in the fight over President Trump's Supreme Court nominee and are grappling with a central question. How much legitimacy do they give his candidates? This is not done in good faith. It's been interesting over the course of many years now to see how it goes when a Republican president picks somebody for the Supreme Court and how that nominee is treated versus the Democrat. Because for the Democrats, it's always try to destroy them. I mean, look at what they did to Kavanaugh. And I think that they have used up all of their goodwill. I really do with the American people by and large because they were so over the top with Kavanaugh. And that was just such, it was made up. We all know it was made up. All of those sexual misconduct allegations hurled at Kavanaugh that somehow escaped the notice of Christine Blasey Ford for the previous 20 some years. She never bothered to bring it up. But oh boy, he's going to be on the Supreme Court. I all of a sudden remember clearly something that happened that was absolutely terrible. And I have no witnesses and nobody can back up my story at all. And then he got through and he was put on the Supreme Court and put through the ringer by those Democrats. And where's she been? Where's Dr. Ford? Did she go to the police finally? I think they've used up their goodwill. I don't know what they're going to do. Well, it's going to be about legitimacy, legitimacy, not just legitimacy, but also we're going to get into the issue of attacks on her family. Now, as you know, or maybe you don't, Amy Coney Barrett has seven children. And I want to go back to a cut that she had, not the cut, but she had made this statement about her seven children back at the time when she was confirmed as a federal judge. And I want you to listen to what she had to say, because the reason it's important, the left cannot stand, cannot stand people with big families. Increasingly, they make comments, they make nasty comments, and people are out there making nasty comments. Listen to what Amy Coney Barrett had to say about her children back just a few years ago. This is Cut 9. Jesse and I have seven children, as Senator Young mentioned. Um, We have our oldest three daughters with us today. Um, Emma is 16. Vivian, directly next to Emma, is 13. Um, Vivian is our miracle. Vivian joined our family. She was born in Haiti, and she came home when she was 14 months old. Um, She weighed 11 pounds, and she was so weak, we were told that she might never walk normally or speak. Today, Vivian is a track star, and I assure you she has no trouble talking. (laughs) 
Tess, sitting next to Vivian, is also 13 years old, both in eighth grade, and she's one of the most compassionate and determined uh, people that I know. John Peter is 10, and like Vivian, John Peter was born in Haiti. He joined our family in uh, 2010 when he was three years old after the devastating earthquake in Haiti. Um, Liam is eight, uh, typically curious eight-year-old, and Juliet is our spunky six-year-old. Benjamin, our youngest, is five, and Benjamin has special needs, and that presents unique challenges for all of us. But I think all you need to know about Benjamin's place in the family is summed up by the fact that the other children unreservedly identify him as their favorite sibling. Now, when you listen to that list that she's just rattled off about her children and how wonderful they are, and she has biological children and she has adopted children, and you think to yourself, wow, what a family that they would adopt these children and they also have a young child with special needs, a Down syndrome child. That is really something. And you'd think that that would be something that nobody could attack. Yep, well, you'd be wrong. Here's from Fox. Ibram Kendi, and I read these tweets myself, an American author who became the new director of the Center for Anti-Racist Research at Boston University, railed against Amy Coney Barrett on Twitter for adopting two black children from Haiti, equating her and her husband to white colonizers. Yeah, he really went there. This is what he wrote. Some white colonizers adopted black children. They civilized these savage children in the superior ways of white people while using them as props and their lifelong pictures of denial while cutting the biological parents of these children out of the picture of humanity. What? He went on to say, and whether this is Barrett or not is not the point. Oh, yeah, I had nothing to do with smearing Barrett. Nothing at all. If you're making a connection, you are really off your rocker. Because why would this apply to Amy Coney Barrett? He says it is a belief too many white people have. If they have or adopt a child of color, then they can't be racist. I'm challenging the idea that white parents of kids of color are inherently not racist. And the bots completely change what I'm saying to white parents of kids of color are inherently racist. These live and fake bots are good at their propaganda. Let's not argue with them. Um, Well, let me say a couple of things. Do you know anything about the parents, the biological parents of these children and what their situation was and what their feelings were about their children being able to live in the United States with parents who love them and are taking good care of them? Any comment on that at all? What the biological parents would think? Because those children were allowed to go with the Barrett family. So something was done that that was okay with the parents at some point. Second of all, how does that make you a colonizer to take children in and take care of them? How is that colonizing them? I mean, what what is the alternative? You better take them in and raise them according to, you know, voodoo because voodoo is done in Haiti. I mean, I'm not really sure what the alternative is. I don't really know. But again, this is what they do because they don't have anything else. Oh, wait a minute. They do have something else. Here's another one. Dana Hull, who's a Democrat activist and once a chief of staff on Capitol Hill to a Democrat lawmaker, tweeted Friday night, even before Amy Coney Barrett's appointment was announced by President Trump, that he hopes she's investigated over the children that she and her husband adopted from Haiti, saying, I would love to know which adoption agency Amy Coney Barrett and her husband used to adopt the two children they brought here from Haiti. So here's a question. Does the press even investigate details of Barrett's adoptions from Haiti? Really? 
Yeah, some adoptions from Haiti were legit. Many were sketchy. And if the press learned they were unethical and maybe illegal adoptions, would they report it or not because it involves her children? Okay, so you just smear Amy Coney Barrett's family that she did some kind of shady adoption deal. This is the left. This is the left, you know, and and all along, when you have a Democrat who puts forward a nominee, the Republicans have said, you're president. The people elected you. You get to choose the nominees. That's it. We will put this person through. We're not going to put Democrat president's picks through, you know, some kind of horrible time like you guys do to us because we recognize it's fair to let you pick who you want to pick because you represent the votes of the American people. And it doesn't go the other way, does it? Here's something else. This just is amazing to me. Joe Biden on MSNBC. I've got to get this in because you've got to hear this. This is the guy who's going to represent the Democrats at the top of the ticket in November. Joe Biden comparing President Trump to the Nazi Goebbels. Listen to this cut. This is cut six. Well, um, I'm not sure anybody hadn't already made up their mind there for Trump believes, but who knows? But, but that's, you know, he's sort of like Goebbels. You say the lie long enough, keep repeating, repeating, repeating. It becomes common knowledge. Yeah, he just compared President Trump to Joseph Goebbels, who is the mastermind of the propaganda machine of Nazi Germany. This is just beyond the pale. And these people, you know, well, it's okay. He's comparing Trump to Goebbels. Why not? Why not? Well, this was the reaction from Dove Heikend, who is the head of Americans Against Anti-Semitism. This was his reaction. Cut seven. It is incomprehensible that Biden compared that he said that our president, Donald Trump, was like Goebbels. Does he know who Goebbels was? He was the architect of the final solution. He advocated the murder of six million Jews. He was the right hand for Adolf Hitler. How does the vice president of the United States, the former vice president, compare Trump to Goebbels? The audacity of Biden to do this with one of the greatest friends to the state of Israel, Donald Trump, and to the Jewish people. What Biden did is an insult to the memory of the six million. It is an insult to my mother's family who were murdered at Auschwitz. He must apologize. He must apologize for this outrageous behavior. He must do the right thing. Comparing Trump to Goebbels is an insult. It's degrading the memory of the six million. Shame on you, former Vice President Biden. Shame on you. He's right. He's absolutely right. It's it's crazy. Who has been a better friend to the nation of Israel than President Trump in recent memory? Who's been better? Who's been better than President Trump to Israel? It's so wrong the way these people work. And I'll tell you what it was in response to. It was in response to the fact that Trump accused Biden of pushing a socialist agenda. Well, what are you doing if not pushing a socialist agenda? Everything that you guys are supporting and or not condemning has some kind of Marxist influence from the rioters in the streets to the whole climate change Marxist scheme. Of course, you're pushing a socialist agenda and you turn around and basically call Trump a Nazi. It's it's how do you how do you go back to serious times with serious people who are willing to work within the system? They don't want to work within the system anymore. They don't want to work within the system anymore. What I'm trying to figure out is why you have people who would say, 
yeah, I really want to get behind these people. That sounds like a, a really wonderful turn of events for the United States to go in the direction Joe Biden wants to take us. That I don't understand. Hey, very quickly before we go to the break, we are so appreciative of all of your support for Heart for Lebanon. We need your help, though. We are trying to help 100 families in Lebanon get 60 days worth of food and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and get Christian education for their kids. These are wonderful Christians on the ground there in these refugee camps in Lebanon, which has been suffering so much. Call now, 888-247-5499. Thank you so much for your generosity. We'll be back. This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The famous opening verse in the beloved Psalm 23. And most of us can recite that whole psalm by heart. But of course, there are 149 other psalms that God has given to us in his word. And each one offers to us the Lord's comfort and strength and encouragement for whatever we are going through in life. That is why it's such a wonderful book of the Bible to turn to, especially when life is not going well for us. And that's something my next guest writes about in her new book, Michelle. Michelle Howe is with us, author of the book called Deliver Us, Finding Hope in the Psalms for Moments of Desperation. Michelle, so great to have you here. How are you? I'm doing well. It's great to be here, Janet. Thank you for being with us. This is such a great topic. I love the Psalms, and I understand you do, too. You're on kind of a schedule, I understand, of reading the Psalms. Oh, I am, and I like to tell everybody about it because it's so helpful. So uh, whatever day of the month it is, you take that day. So today is the 8th. So you read Psalm 8, and then you add 30 to it. So you read 38, 68, 98, 128. And so you've, you would be able to read five Psalms every day, every day of the month. And if you do, do that and follow that pattern, you will go through the entire book of Psalms every month. And who doesn't need all those psalms with all that um, comfort and strength and also whatever emotion or struggle you're going through, we kind of jokingly say there's a psalm for that. <laughs> and if you, if you follow that uh, program or that formula, you will find that it's, it's interesting how God wove supernaturally, almost simultaneously, the same topic will be in those five psalms every day of the month. And I challenge listeners to try it because once you get on that program, you will never stop. Oh, yeah, that is a great schedule to get on. It's it's like the book was written for us to fit into our month schedule. I love it. That's so good. And you're, you're right. Every time that you come around, I, at least this is the experience for me, some of these most well-known psalms, you know, Psalm 139 or Psalm 23 or Psalm 22, Every time you read it, you get something new out of it. That, that's the astounding thing about the Bible in general. But do you find that to be the case when you're going through a lot of these Psalms? You see new things and sometimes it strikes you in a new way based on what you're going through? Absolutely. I mean, I feel that way about all of the Bible. But, you know, because the, emo- the emotions are so raw 
and in your face, so to speak, in the Psalms, because a lot of times David was writing from a place of real desperation, as well as the other psalmists. I mean, what man or woman out there like today with all the change that's going on in our world and the uncertainty, you know, we open up the Psalms. You probably don't even matter which Psalm you open, you're going to find something because you start out where the, the psalmist is lamenting or crying or despairing or I'm upset and I, I'm without hope. And almost always by the end of that psalm, you'll get the but God moment where he realizes that, okay, this is awful. I can't do this alone, but God will enable me to get on the other side of this, to push through this challenge, to be successful over this difficulty because he promises to be with me and never forsake me. So right now when I'm feeling a little off, anxious, whatever, I go to the Psalms and I just find, like you just said, God meets me where I'm at at that moment. Yes. Yeah. And it's so practical. You really, I mean, I have felt this way on many occasions when I'm reading David's lamenting or, you know, saying things about the wicked. Why do the wicked prosper? And these sorts of thoughts. And I think he's just like me in some ways. I really understand him. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about enduring the valley of depression, because this is one of the places that you start in your book. Psalm 42 is the psalm that you cite. And people will know this. I'm going to try to read it without singing it because I you know, know the song so well. But as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. But yet there's this reference to my tears being my food day and night. And then why my soul are you downcast and why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Take us through a little bit of the thoughts that you have on how that particular psalm helps if you are feeling depressed and if you are feeling low. Well, and I think right now there's so many that are feeling depression because of what joblessness, loneliness, despair, uncertainty, fear, whatever emotion it is that's your calling card emotion for your personality and your walk through life, you're probably feeling it in spades right now. So this kind of a psalm just takes you through it and you just, you unpack it verse by verse and you realize that you're crying out to God saying, I I can't do this. I'm overwhelmed. My, I'm crying so much. It's, you know, it's just, that's my calling card right now. (laughs) Help me Lord. But, but then you journey through and you realize God is saying, I'm with you. I am ever present. I am all powerful. I see what's going on here, you know, and he's ruling in heaven without fear or without being upset. He's calm. He's seeing it because he was in the past, future and present all at all at the same time. And I think right now, as I observe others in midst of all the uncertainty and upheaval that our whole world is experiencing, and so many people that are falling apart, the ones who are not falling apart are the ones who know Jesus Christ as Savior and who are spending time in God's Word every day. Those people are not falling apart because they know God is still on the throne and He's reigning with power and that He has promised to meet every one of their needs. And I think that's what helps us right now is delving into Scripture every single day, writing down maybe one verse, taking it with you on a little three-by-five card, and looking at that truth. Because I had a conversation yesterday with my adult daughter, and she was saying, but the experience, the experience. And then I had to remind her, well, our experiences are powerful, but nothing can trump God's Word and truth. Amen. And so we have to remember that our emotions have got to be subservient to biblical thinking and to God's truth. And we have to remind ourselves of that every day. How do we do it? We write down God's promises and we carry them with us 
when our emotions do feel so out of control. Good. That's really, really important. And I think no matter how old we get, we need that reminder that it's not about how I'm feeling. It's about the anchor of God's word. Do you ever take time, Michelle, to write out the Psalms when you're going through them just to meditate on them further? Do you find that to be something that you would recommend that people do? Absolutely. I mean, I have a journal and my journal is a little fruity. It's not like most people's (laughs) journals. But I will, you know, doing my quiet time, spending time with the Lord, I will. I will get to a a few verses, perhaps, in a particular psalm on a particular day, and I will write those out, and I will date it, and then I will write what I'm feeling, thinking, going through. And and then I refer back to it maybe months, a year later, whatever, and I will write down then how I worked through it or how that passage of Scripture helped me, equipped me to face whatever I was facing. And Mm -hmm. so... Not only am I reminded of where I was maybe a year ago, but I'm reminded of how God supernaturally met my need and or just grew me up and yes. changed me. And I'll look back and go, wow, I really don't, don't kind of am embarrassed that I was even thinking that because it was really selfish yeah. or I was really anxious and I should have known better. But you just it's kind of like you're building a faithful history between you and the Lord. And we are like the Israelites. We forget we need to be good rememberers of all his past faithfulnesses to us. True. That's great. You know, something else that strikes me when you were talking about your conversation with your daughter, there is so much power in the word of God when it talks about what scripture is for. And we know that the Bible says that scripture is used for in part reproof and correction. And even with the Psalms that are so moving emotionally, One thing that I have found in my own life is when I am feeling emotionally out of control, sad or angry or what have you, there is a corrective element that takes place in my thinking when I'm reading what the psalmist is writing, when I'm reading what David is lamenting. Do you find that to be true as well, that as I'm going through, oh, that's right, okay, my my tears are my food day and night, but why, soul, are you downcast? Put your hope in God. It's like it's a correction, but it's such a gentle, warm correction that it feels good even as you're being, you know, recalibrated, as it were, in your thoughts. Absolutely. And I love that term correction because it is a correction. I will go to God's word many a morning and be overwhelmed or feel like I don't have enough for this. I have too many things to do today. I don't think I'm wise enough, Lord, to handle this, you know, difficult conversation. And, and I look at our nation and then I despair and I thought, oh, it's so good. And then, you know, I mean, the litany of thoughts that can go through my head can be so overwhelming. And just as you said it, then I obediently and with self-control, open up God's Word, because I don't always feel like it. (laughs) And then I I start reading, and it's almost like I feel that I'm exhaling all my anxiety, fear, and worry, and I'm casting my cares back to Him, who is the only one who's worthy of handling it all. That is perfect. Michelle Howe is with us. Her book is called Deliver Us, Finding Hope in the Psalms for Moments of Desperation. And we'll come back on Janet Mefford today, right after this.
Gofran and Khaled, two little boys from Syria, were orphaned four years ago. But when they came to Lebanon with their aunt as refugees, Heart for Lebanon was waiting for them. Heart for Lebanon was there to provide Christian education, emergency supplies, and the hope of the gospel to these two boys. Now they listen attentively to the Bible stories they're hearing and are memorizing Bible verses. They have hope now because of what God is doing through Heart for Lebanon. Your investment of $116 will help two families to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Call now, 888-247-5499. Here's Camille Melke, founder of Heart for Lebanon, to explain why he's encouraged right now. You could sense maybe from my voice the excitement, right? The sense of God has us here in a time and location in history that is unprecedented. This is an opportunity time, God-sized opportunity time like never before. Right now, you could see a, a wave of people in great anticipation at what God will further do in our midst in the years to come. Because I believe that the crisis in Syria is a long-term crisis, unfortunately so. But I also believe that uh, right now we are starting to reap what has been sowed for many, many years in the lives of the refugees. We are seeing churches full of Syrian refugees. We're seeing Muslims coming to Christ. We're seeing children uh, now being the greatest testimony and the best evangelists within their communities. This is the result of many years of hard work and greater, I believe, by faith, far greater results are coming in the near future. Your gift of $116 will allow Heart for Lebanon to help two families survive during the next 60 days. Call now, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com, 888-247-5499. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us and also great to have with us Michelle Howe, who is the author of the new book, Deliver Us, Finding Hope in the Psalms for Moments of Desperation. I love the Psalms. I don't think I've ever met a Christian who didn't love the whole Bible, but the Psalms, there's just something about that book that really helps us in those really difficult moments of life. And a lot of people, Michelle, as you pointed out, are going through a lot right now, whether or not it's joblessness or desperation of some sort pertaining to life in general. You know, something else, though, that you talk about, which I think is important is, for example, living joyfully with chronic health issues or trying to work through the issue of unanswered prayers. There are extended periods in life, and sometimes they go on for years, where things stay the same. The pain stays the same. The trial seems to stay the same. How do the Psalms give you hope in those sorts of moments where it's not a quick fix? We're living in a broken world, a sin-ridden world, with bodies that are tending toward destruction. And as negative as that sounds, we know what's on the other side, which is glory and and, and perfection and wonder with Jesus. But until we get there, we are to be uh, battling against, I would say, the elements. And some of the elements are, yeah, I I mean, I live with chronic pain with just many different issues. And, you know, sometimes I've been like, you know, Lord, I could do so much more if you just take away this pain. (laughs) But, but. I always have to go back to, you know, how do you make peace with that unanswered prayer? Every believer who prays will live with unanswered prayer, number one, or and or will live with answered prayer in ways that makes no human sense to us at all. Yes. And I think that what we have to do is take a different biblical truth here and just say, remind ourselves, and the Psalms will always remind us as this as well, is that God wants only what is very best for us. 
And the very best for us is often painful. But he wants us to be transformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So whatever it takes for us to get there, he will allow what he hates, you know, to gain what he loves. And that's a great thought and kind of a deep quote, but it's true. And I'm thinking to myself, what is, you know, the chief end of man? Well, it's to know God and enjoy him forever. And within the boundaries of that definition, we have to stay with others of faith. And this is from Psalm 22. And I love this. In you, God, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Or it could be, I was, or we're not disappointed. And I love the word disappointed because over and over through the Psalms, it'll say, if you trust in me, you will not be disappointed. Hmm. And what do men and, and women often face? I don't want to be disappointed. I mean, I'm praying, but I don't want to be disappointed because I think, oh, I'm trusting in you, and I know you want what what is best for me, but this is so painful. And I'm always reminding myself, but God is worthy of my trust. So what do I do in those painful situations that never seem to change? I can pray daily or hourly, Lord, give me the grace to trust you because you're worthy of my trust, and I want to honor you by trusting you with this situation that I am not in control of. And, you know, I just think praying that, reading through the Psalms, it, again, you can exhale so much of your anxiety, fear, worry, anger, whatever it is, and breathe in, you know, just a, uh, an eternal perspective in the peace of God, and it can just change your outlook and your perspective. Oh, that's so great. And it's so practical, too, because I can think of so many, so many circumstances in my own life where I prayed for one thing and I got something else, and I look back on it in retrospect and say, Lord, thank you for not giving me what I asked for, because what you gave me was exactly what I needed, and you gave it to me right on time. And that builds trust in the Lord, doesn't it, over the long run? You say, I have this trust track record now where I understand as the clay that the potter knows what he's doing. Absolutely. And and like you, I have prayed for so many things that I thought were going to be the best thing for my life or my husband's life and our children's lives. And the Lord said, no. Yeah. And then I, you know what, I have to work through that grief or that, that just that submitting to his greater authority and trusting that he knew more than me. But just like you, you can look back and say, wow, I was asking for exactly the wrong thing because God had that bigger plan. And even though maybe it was painful and it, it hurt and it was hard, I've seen my kids grow in character. I've grown in character as as my husband. And again, we are more fit to help other people because of what we've suffered. And I'm thankful now that the Lord didn't shortcut our suffering because we are more equipped to face what we need to face today. Yes, that's so good. And and in your chapter where you talk about living joyfully, like we talked about with chronic health issues, you picked out Psalm 40. Something really strikes me about this verse. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. And what that made me think about was the fact that, for example, when you're in grief, you're in sorrow, someone you love has died. You don't need somebody to walk up to you necessarily and give you the perfect line that's going to make everything better because words don't, I mean, words are not going to make a big difference when you're in deep, deep grief. What you want more than anything is for that friend to be there to show up, to be next to you. Right. And so I thought about that. I thought even in your most tumultuous moments and your most desperate moments, knowing that the Lord turned to you and heard you, that is comforting in and of itself, just to know he's listening to you. He's here. He has not walked away from you. He's not ignoring you. Absolutely. And I think that we always have to remember 
Yeah, and this isn't even a verse in the Psalms, but it's in Deuteronomy where he says, I will never leave you. I will never, 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 ever, 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 ever leave you, (laughs) ever. Yes. And I think we just have to remind ourselves that that no matter what we're going through, he's present. No, we can't feel him, hear him, see him, but he's there. And again, we have to know the Word of God in order to be comforted by the Word of God. And you know, so many times I think, Believers are lazy anymore, and we don't spend time knowing who God says He is. Well, how can we trust a God we don't even know who He is? True. Well, right. right. He gave us the Word of God to reveal who He is, and the Holy Spirit. Then, what does He do? If we spend time in God's Word, then we are, you know, not handicapping the Holy Spirit's ability to bring to our remembrance the truth that God wants us to hold on to in the day of trouble and trial. Very true. That's great. How about things that you need to do as a Christian that you might not feel like doing? And that happens, I would assume, in a lot of people's lives. But one of those things that I think we all struggle with at times is forgiveness. You've got a chapter in your book on forgiving so we can move on. And of course, you know, we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. But Psalm 32 speaks to this and says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. Michelle, just out of curiosity, when you're dealing with an issue having to do with forgiving somebody and being able to just, you know, move past a a particular problem that you may be having with somebody and, and understand forgiveness is a choice, forgiveness is something that we do because we have been forgiven, how do the Psalms help you? Well, I think one thing we have to remember, too, is obedience is it, it matters here i mean god mm-hmm. says to forgive as we have been forgiven you know and that's not an option but he also says overcome evil with good and then to comfort those who feel like we really have been wronged in a, in a desperate way and it's still paining us he'll he gives us the, the, the total remedy is i am the just judge you know you leave me the, the position of being the judge and i will take care of things you know within eternity but i think one of the myths that we think and we get, you know, held up on with forgiveness is someone will say, well, I forgave my husband for what he did. And then last week I I remembered that incident again and and it it upset me all over again. And then I thought, well, maybe I didn't forgive. And I'm like, no, 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 that is not necessarily true because God gave us a mind that we can remember both good and the bad. But like our pastor always says, you choose what thoughts you allowed the birds to nest in on your head. You know, you're not going to necessarily, you know, when you get triggered by something, you will remember an incident, but then that's your new opportunity, your fresh chance to once again say, okay, I'm not letting that bitterness or that resentment or anger take place anymore. You know, I have forgiven that person. I'm going to move on. But, you know, it takes the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do that. And I think with forgiveness, it isn't an option. So even though someone has desperately hurt you and you remember it, you also remember that God's, the way he designed our minds is to be protective so that we don't walk into dangerous situations again with particular people who are evil. And I think that's a caution and and, it gives us minds so that we think critically through every situation we're in. But again, forgiveness is not optional. And for the other person, it's for us because we want unbroken communion and relationship with the Lord. And we have unforgiveness in our heart. You know, he's not hearing us. So, I mean, it's just like, I won't give you any more light until you walk in the light I've already given you. So Hmm. forgive your brother 
you know, that sinned against you. Yes. Oh, so important. And all of these psalms obviously are wonderful, and you'll find Deliver Us to be a great resource to go through them. Michelle Howe with us, Deliver Us, Finding Hope in the Psalms for Moments of Desperation is her book. And so good to talk to you again, Michelle. I really appreciate your being with us. Thank you. This was wonderful. You too. And enjoy those psalms, Michelle. I'll enjoy them with you. I really appreciate that. All right. Well, we thank you for being with us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time and God bless.